You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Variant 4, we may see more like it. Mitigations are under preparation. The Confucius Threat Group modifies its approach to targets. Turla adopts a two-stage infection technique. A misconfigured AWS S3 bucket exposes a California not-for-profit's clients. ZTE's lifeline may not be so strong after all. Facebook's EU testimony gets tepid reviews. And a botnet is pushing smart pills and diet supplements. Not that any of you would be tempted. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, May 23rd, 2018. The speculative execution vulnerabilities at the heart of Spectre, Meltdown, and the recently disclosed Variant 4 represent, observers say, issues at the foundation of most current chipsets. Many expect other flaws to emerge soon. A speculative execution side-channel attack of the kind Variant 4 would allow is, analysts say, difficult to execute, which is probably why Microsoft rated the risk associated with Variant 4 as low. But such vulnerabilities are also difficult to address. Various mitigations and fixes are expected over the next few weeks. Trend Micro offers an update on the Confucius threat group, It's still spying on South Asian targets, mostly Pakistani, but it's moved its infection vector from romance sites to adult content serving Android apps, and again, romance scams. In an extended sense, perhaps, this isn't too much of a thematic shift. Romance scams have a long, sad history in ordinary crime, as they do in espionage, but Trend Micro thinks using them for the installation of spyware is a relatively novel move. There's no consensus, by the way, about the actors behind Confucius, but Trend Micro sees a connection to the Patchwork Group. There's a good bit of code sharing. The Confucius Downloader has an interesting self-deletion function that appears to configure it to targets from a list of allowed countries. Trend Micro's report says that most South and Southeast Asia countries, including Mongolia, are on the allowed list. Most of the Middle East and Africa are on the allowed list. In Europe, only Ukraine is allowed, and in the Americas, Confucius is interested only in Trinidad and Tobago. No country in Oceania is on the allowed list. Make of this what you will, but of such thin circumstance, attribution is often woven. According to ESET, operators of the Turla Trojan package have moved away from the custom backdoors they've hitherto used in their mosquito campaign, They're now using the open-source pen-testing frameworks of Metasploit as their initial backdoor. Turla is widely regarded as run by Russian intelligence services. It's been tracked for some time. Symantec gives it a discovery date of January 13, 2014, 
and it's been involved in a number of espionage campaigns since then. It's used both in spearfishing emails and watering hole attacks to install its exploits in victim systems. Authorities in the UK have been particularly on the alert for Turla. The National Center for Cybersecurity has warned that Turla is using tools, Neuron and Nautilus, that primarily target mail servers and web servers. The goal is to establish and maintain persistent access for intelligence collection. On the strength of ESET's recent findings, the security company sums up by advising incident responders to look for the two-stage infection process. The first stage is an open-source pen-testing project, and the second stage is installation of the custom Mosquito backdoor. UpGuard says it has located another misconfigured AWS S3 bucket. This one belongs to Los Angeles County 211, an L.A.-based not-for-profit whose business is providing information and referrals for health and human services in the county. Among the 3.2 million personally identifiable files exposed are logs and notes on suicide distress and domestic abuse calls, which makes the data exposure unusually troubling. Any enterprise that uses AWS would be well advised to look carefully at its configurations to ensure that their buckets haven't been inadvertently exposed to the Internet at large. Recent news about vulnerabilities in mobile fitness apps prompted security firm SEWorks to take a closer look at the top 10 fitness apps on the Google Play Store. Song Cho is VP of Growth and Strategy at SEWorks, and she shares what they found. We found that they all have some sort of security issues and all of them have actually critical and medium degree of security vulnerabilities. And we thought this was worth um, addressing. And so what kind of vulnerabilities did you find? So the common things that we found, um, firstly, was file input and output. And one thing that I want to note is that this may not be seen as a critical vulnerability, depending on your internal app development environment. However, this still is considered as uh, one of the top critical vulnerabilities in the overall mobile app world. And we found that many apps have these vulnerabilities. Another thing is uh, called intent. And intent is a coding framework that allows apps and components to communicate with one another by passing messages. And this helps uh, specify between a procedure to call and the arguments to use. And this is basically a communication system. And this is another thing that we consider as critical vulnerability. And in in addition to file input and output and intent, we also found um, URL schemes which are intents that allow applications to communicate with servers and web pages from inside an app. So one thing that we often encounter is a lot of developers uh, find it quite safe once they have the server side secure. Um, However, I would really like to highlight that even if your server is secure, your apps are not as secure as your server. Hackers still can compromise your apps and even ultimately the server too, because apps are oftentimes used as an entry point for hackers. Now, you you all make the point of the importance of uh, considering security from the very beginnings of, of developing an app. What are your recommendations here for these app developers? How could they have done a better job? 
I would really like to recommend thinking about security from the designing phase, from the architecture phase. Oftentimes, developers don't have enough time to think about security uh, when they develop apps because they either don't have enough expertise in security or they don't have time or resources to invest in security. However, um, at the end of the day, security will come um, as a biggest problem in your app development or even after your app goes live. So I would really recommend thinking about security from the beginning of the development phase. And, you know, once you're done developing, there are also many other security solutions or softwares that you can help um, adding and strengthening your security for your apps as well. So I would um, look out for those as well. I would also like to mention the common vulnerabilities that we found were um, insecure data storage, M2, and M8 code tempering, as well as M9 reverse engineering. So I would also, based on this result, I would also like to um, address the importance of um, obfuscating and encrypting your source code to prevent reverse engineering and to protect many other hacking damages that can happen from that, such as uh, creating copycat apps, um, source code modification, um, it, which could also lead to malware insertion or payment frauds as well. That's Song Cho from SE Works. The U.S. administration is squeezing ZTE for leadership changes and trade concessions. Congress, however, may buy none of it. Many members argue that ZTE is a security risk. Recall that the Commerce Department's sanctions against ZTE are based not on security concerns, but rather on ZTE's evasion of international sanctions against trade with certain proscribed countries, notably, but not exclusively, Iran. Facebook honcho Mark Zuckerberg's EU testimony yesterday has not been particularly well-reviewed. Many observers, including politicians connected with the European Parliament, felt that he was evasive and didn't really answer the questions they wanted answered. That's not, it seems, entirely Mr. Zuckerberg's fault. The format of the questioning had all the leaders of the various EU political groups lay out several questions in advance— and then Mr. Zuckerberg spoke to some of them over his 22-minute response. Under such circumstances, you'd have to be more than flesh and blood to refrain from some picking and choosing. He did apologize for Facebook's involvement with Cambridge Analytica and for the presence of fake news on Facebook. And he also gave a shout-out to GDPR. But this ground is well-tread, and the European parliamentarians wanted more. In particular, they're interested in fostering competition among platforms— and on that score, Mr. Zuckerberg offered mostly anodyne caution against ill-crafted regulation, stifling innovation. Security firm Proofpoint has outlined the Brain Food botnet, which is for the most part engaged in serving up dodgy nutritional products and regimes, often falsely branded as big successes on the popular plutographic TV show Shark Tank. The bots are sending people to pages that hawk supplements to help you diet and make you smarter. All of you, of course, are smart enough and fit enough to need neither, but you might pass this information on to friends who might be tempted. We're always looking out for friends. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging. 
and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Daniel Prince. He's a senior lecturer in cybersecurity at Lancaster University. Daniel, welcome back. Um, we wanted to touch today on risk management and uncertainty. What do you have to share with us today? Well, thank you for having me back on. Um, so I've been doing quite a lot of work looking at risk management, thinking about actually what do we mean by risk. And when you start to, to look at some of the formal definitions Risk is really looking at a system where we can know all the specific outputs and we can assign probabilities to those possible outputs. The problem with I'm finding with uh, digital systems is that the ability to be able to enumerate all the possible outcomes, all the possible problems that that system has, is, is nearly impossible because of the complexities of the system. And that leads us into the, really the concepts of uncertainty where we, can, we know some of the possible outcomes, but we just don't know all of the possible outcomes. And therefore, it becomes much more complicated to have a quantitative-based system to understand where all the probabilities of all the different outcomes happen. And so for me, this is really important when we start to talk about things like systemic risk within systems. So systemic risk is this concept that there is an underlying big problem that could actually change the way that people behave. But that assumes that one, we can, we can identify all the possible outcomes and assign probabilities, uh, and two, that we know the whole system. My point here at thinking is that we can't know all the possible outcomes, so we have to start thinking about um, systemic uncertainty. 
Um, and that leads you on to, instead of doing really a lot of planning, a lot of more thinking about how do we respond to incidents, which is one of the reasons why when I'm teaching and thinking about risk management, I'm actually thinking more about how do we prepare people to be able to respond effectively to the materialization of unintended or bad events within a, within a particular system, uh, including the, the, the people and the technology. Now, do you find that uh, people approach this in a logical way? Do people come at it thinking that they can eliminate all risk? Do they, do they have unrealistic expectations? I think that the unrealistic expectations starts with believing that they can know all the possible outcomes that a p- computer system could generate. And that's, uh, in some ways, a little bit of a naive uh, position to take. And I think if you talk to a lot of technologists, they wouldn't take that position. But a lot of other people who are not completely aware of the complexities of computer systems uh, do take that position and and believe that you can know all the outputs. But there is often sort of, I find, a bit of a a bias, a a sort of an overconfidence bias within, within some technical people within risk management that they... Uh, assume that they they can know all the possible outcomes uh, and quantify them, and then uh, then they're dealt with. The reality is, I think it's much more important for a whole organisation to be really prepared to face an incident. And that's just not the technical people, but that's also all of the the business people, all across the whole organisation. And thinking about how the organisation really responds as as a, as a collective of people to support the organization to deal with a, a specific threat. Yeah, it strikes me that it's not unlike how we deal with uh, with our ourselves, our, our human bodies and our frailties and our our, uh, our ability to get sick. You know, so you can do everything. Uh, you can wash your hands. You can, uh, you know, not, not uh, sneeze on your coworkers. But still, people are going to get colds. People are going to get the flu. And as an organization, you have to be prepared for that, that sometimes people aren't going to be able to show up for work. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it. And it's one of the really interesting things about, you know, in our day-to-day lives, we're quite happy with uncertainty, most of us. Uh, we're, we're quite happy to be able to deal with um, the unintended outcome, the things we didn't think about. We are capable of doing that. Uh, and we, we accept that we have that in our daily lives. But what's interesting when it comes to computer systems, they, they've yeah, this, because it is technology, because it's engineered, there is this kind of, well, why can't we know everything? That's that the question that sort of comes out. But if you take a standard computer system, you've got some hardware that we don't know what's in it. Um, we you know, don't know where there's, there's vulnerabilities. So things like Meltdown and Spectre are key examples of that. Then we put an operating system on top of that, which could have some problems. And then we install a wide variety of applications on top of that. So And we don't you know, no one installation is exactly the same as the other. So every single system we have and all the systems that interconnect us can be considered as unique as every single person on the planet. So um, when you when you start to think about it like that, then it's, you know, we really need to start to think about doing the best defense we can, but also be able to respond as, as effectively as we can as well. All right. Daniel Prince, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.